Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, find in yours Revelation chapter 13, the 13th chapter in the book of the Revelation. This morning, I want to spend briefly about 10 minutes revisiting last week's lesson. Ever since we turned the page to chapter 6, we entered the future. We entered the very beginning of the seven-year tribulation, and ever since we turned the page to chapter 11, uh, we entered the midway point of the seven-year tribulation. I arrive at that conclusion because John mentions 42 months in Revelation 11 and 2. There are 84 months in seven years, and 42 months is the midway point. John brings the midway point to our attention, and Revelation 12 and 6, mentioning 1,260 days, and in Revelation 12 and 14, he uses an expression from the book of Daniel, a time, one year, times, two more years, and a half a time, six months. Now put that all together, and that's three and a half years. Once again, the midway point. Last week, one of our own members placed on the screen uh, at the request of his wife, uh, maybe a time chart of future events uh, could be of help. And I noticed that he emailed one uh, to all of us this week as well. I will agree these time charts are very helpful and useful. However, they are most useful for the Christian who has been around prophecy enough to know what all the pieces of the puzzle are saying. I can't speak for any of you, but the first time I ever saw a prophetic time chart like the one he shared, it was like looking at all the pieces of a puzzle without the box they came in. Imagine if somebody just threw all the pieces of a puzzle onto your kitchen table without the box. The box helps, doesn't it? If someone said, what, what would your picture for the entire period of time known as the tribulation look like? I would say, close your eyes and picture this. Revelation 19, and I saw heaven opened. Put that on the picture. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you want to know what the picture on the box looks like, see this. The nations of the world, led by Satan and the Antichrist, destroy the world. And they revolt against Jesus, 
and Jesus destroys the nations. Last week's entire lesson was just one piece in the box. Animals representing nations. A lion, a leopard, and a bear. Animals representing the devil, the Antichrist, and the nations they rule. The nations they bring in coalition together with them to wage war against the saints and to wage war against the Lamb. Last week, I was simply connecting Daniel chapter 7, one piece on a time chart, to Revelation chapter 13, another piece on the time chart. Let's do it again without any turning. Last week, we, we turned quite a lot in the Bible, and perhaps that added, perhaps that contributed to the confusion. Daniel 7 and 8, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. This is a prophecy speaking of the future Antichrist, a mouth uttering great boasts. Keep those thoughts or words in your, in your mind. Daniel builds upon that in Daniel 7 and 25. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. Now listen, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. Daniel is bringing us to the midway point. Now the midway point brings us to the Final end of the seven-year tribulation, a time, one year, times, two more years, a half a time, six months, three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist will open his big mouth. Look at Revelation 13 and 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for how long? For 42 months was given to him, the same amount of time that Daniel referenced, only Daniel used the expression a time, one year, times two more years, a half a time, six months, three and a half years. Three and a half years is synonymous with 42 months. Daniel 7 and 21, I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Look at Revelation 13 and 7. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and to overcome them. Look at uh, Daniel 7, 3 through 5. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle, and behold, another beast, the second one, resembling a bear. After this, I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Look, look at Revelation 13 and 2. And the beast, which I saw, was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. We now know the lion with wings of an eagle is Babylon. That's the nation this animal represents. And Babylon is the last nation to be destroyed. The beast is the little horn, the Antichrist. And we now know the dragon is the devil. Animals represent nations and 
animals represent the devil and the antichrist and if you want to know what all the pieces all the time charts paint they paint the nations of the world led by the devil and the antichrist revolt against jesus and jesus destroys the nations and that was last week's lesson this morning's lesson is less about what time it is the midway point and more about making the most of our time, not wanting anyone to enter this period called the tribulation. Notice Revelation 13, eight through 10. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. John begins with all who dwell on the earth will worship the Antichrist. What if I told you one reason for all who dwell on the earth will worship the Antichrist is because many did not make the most of their time during the church age, rejected the gospel, entered into the tribulation, and ended up worshiping, not Christ, but the Antichrist. Keep your fingers here in Revelation 13 and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I will read as a beginning point, verses 8 through 11. <clears throat> Excuse me. Second Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist. <clears throat> That's the little horn in Daniel 7, the beast in Revelation 13. Let, let's read on. Whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That's the end game, folks. That, that's the picture on the box that we read in Revelation 19. Now watch, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. I must place into your thoughts, what we are reading is about a time yet to come. And none of the verses that I've just read are applicable now, unless we're the generation, we're the church that sees the rapture, we're the generation that has people who have rejected the love of the truth so as to not be saved, and then will enter the tribulation. Why do I say this morning's lesson is less about what time it is, the midway point, and more about making the most of your time? Because there are countless people that do not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And will they be the generation that will enter the tribulation and God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false? 
You know what we have in Revelation chapter 13? We have many worshipers of the Antichrist believing what is false because during the church age they rejected the truth. Now, why are they believing what is false in the tribulation? Well, notice 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9 again. The one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. I want you to keep that thought in your mind. The Antichrist is empowered by the devil, the dragon, Satan, and he has all power to perform signs and false wonders. Now, with that thought in your mind, let's come back to Revelation 13. And let's build upon what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. They worship the dragon, that's the devil, because he gave his authority to the beast, that's the Antichrist. Now, now what kind of authority did the dragon, the devil, Satan, give to the beast who we know is the Antichrist? Now watch this, Revelation 13 and 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to earth in the presence of men. Do you see what we are doing once again? We are simply allowing scripture to interpret scripture, knowing what time it is, creating our own timeline, our own chart with one addition. We're not looking at a time chart with all the pieces on one single page. We're looking at all the pieces one chapter at a time. Look at Revelation 13, 2, 12, and 14 together as one thought. Revelation 13, 2, 12, and 14 as one thought. Verse 2, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, the devil that is, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Now watch this, verse 12 and 14. He exercises, verse 12, all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. Now watch this who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. If people can be fooled in our day by counterfeit religionists who create fake miracles, fraudulent miracles, imagine how many will be fooled during the tribulation by the Antichrist who can raise the dead, the devil, who can raise the dead. How many will be fooled? All of the beast. No one who rejects Christ during the church age and enters the tribulation will believe the truth. And why do I believe that? 2 Thessalonians 2, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. As a side note, Revelation 7 tells us there are Gentiles from all the nations saved during the first half of the tribulation, and the number is so innumerable, we can't even count how many Gentiles will be saved. You might be wondering, well, how do we, how do we harmonize the fact that we have 
people who hear the love of the truth during the church age reject it. They have a deluding influence placed upon them by God during the tribulation to believe what is false. And at the very same time, we have this innumerable, innumerable amount of Gentiles no one can count getting saved. How do we harmonize that? I know only one way. I think it reveals to us that of the eight plus billion people, give or take, that live on planet Earth, just how many people right now during the church age have never heard the truth to reject it? Could it be that we are living in a time where there is portions of the truth, half-truths, bits and pieces of the gospel removed, people who are told just to believe but not to repent, uh, people who are told you can repent and believe, but you also have to do this in order to be saved. People who subtract from the gospel and people who add to the gospel end up preaching no gospel at all. And could it be that there are an innumerable amount of Gentiles living in the world who have never heard the gospel? And that is why there will be so many who will be saved the phrase in verse 8, <clears throat> excuse me, all who dwell on the earth is used throughout Revelation to describe unbelievers. I wonder if we realize when Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it, and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many find it, we should believe him. Half the world is alive at the midway point, and half the world, with few exceptions, Worship the beast. We must be telling people, please consider what I have to say. Consider what the Bible says about being saved today and what the consequences are for tomorrow. Repent and believe the gospel today and, and you will be rapture ready and you will escape the great tribulation to come. In the expression, the lamb that was slain from the creation of the word, world, the words from the creation of the world relate to the time and eternity past when the names were written in the book of life. Seven times in the New Testament, believers are identified as those whose names are written in the book of life. This phrase is, is used as a synonym for eternity past. How did God know who would get saved in eternity past? It is God who saves. Revelation 17 and 8, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not that will come. Jesus said in Matthew 25 and 34, then the kingdom will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Unlike unbelievers, the elect will not be deceived by Antichrist. Antichrist will not be able to destroy believers saving faith. Look at the end of Revelation verse 13 and 10. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. 
Jesus promises this. He said in Revelation 3 and 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. When Jesus said this, he will not erase his name from the book of life. Uh, he has the Jewish synagogue in the first century in mind. In the synagogues of the Jewish people was a registry with names on it. When a Jewish person placed their faith in Jesus in the first century, the rabbis erased their names from that registry. Believers are secure because the book of life belongs to the Lamb who has been what? Slain. Please don't miss that. Don't miss why our names are securely in the book. The Lamb that was slain. Believers. We're not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I want to direct your attention to the phrase in Revelation 13 and 9, he who has an ear, let him hear. Who has an ear to hear? Verse 9 is meant for the persecuted believers, and verse 10 proves it. Uh, as a side note, uh, this expression in verse 9 proves the absence of the church on earth during the tribulation. If anyone has an ear, let him hear, is used in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. It is followed by the phrase, what the Spirit says to the churches. The omission of that phrase, what the Spirit says to the churches in Revelation 13 and 9, is because in Revelation 3 and 10, Jesus promised the church that they would be kept from this hour. Verse 10, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. That's who needs to hear this. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. That's who needs to hear this. And who needs to hear this? Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. He who has an ear, let him hear, is meant for the persecuted saints during the tribulation period. This is not a call to get saved. It is a call to the saved. Here is the perseverance. These saints needed to hear this. What did they need to hear? It is God's sovereign plan for captivity, imprisonment, and they must accept this without retaliation. Remember, we now know not all the Jewish believers will escape to the wilderness. Jesus said in Matthew 24, they will kill you. These two verses contain important practical truth for those believers alive at the time of the Antichrist's persecution. They are to depend on God's providence and not take matters into their own hands. You say, where did I get that? Where did I get not take matters into their own hands? If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Where is a sword placed? into our hands. 
Don't you think it would be tempting to fight? Don't you think it would be tempting to fight back? Don't you think it would be tempting to be angry and bitter and want to kill in return? Do you know who Jesus said this to? <clears throat> Jesus said this to Peter when he cut that soldier's ear off in Matthew 26 and 52. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Those believers destined by God's sovereign plan for captivity and imprisonment are to accept incarceration as God's will. God's people must not retaliate against their persecutors. There, there is no place now for us to do that, and there will be no place then for violent believers terrorizing their persecutors. Peter learned a lot about retaliation. After all, he likes to use the sword. So Jesus uses him to say things like this to us. 1 Peter 4 and 19, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That's what's being called upon to these saints persevering during the tribulation. They need to entrust their souls to the faithful creator. Instead of reacting violently, believers must exemplify the perseverance and the faith of the saints. That they must be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who while being reviled, did not revile in return. While suffering, uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, 1 Peter 2 and 23. When believers follow Christ's example, Peter said, those who revile their good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. 1 Peter 3 and 16, those who are reviled for the name of Christ are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on them. The message of this passage is clear. Let the beast from the abyss do what he will. Let Satan and his demons do what they will. And why? That picture on the box. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it called faithful and true and righteousness, he judges and wages war. He's coming, folks. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except him himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. That's us, folks. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. May I ask, have you rejected the love of the truth so as to be saved? Have you heard the love of the truth? Have you heard the message of the gospel that God is holy, sinless, and perfect? That his law demands sinless perfection. James says if you keep the whole law, 613 laws, and stumble in one point, you are guilty of all. Jesus said, 
be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Surely you have to agree with me this morning. You are an imperfect sinner. What's your solution? What's your answer? The Bible says that Jesus, the just, died for the unjust. That's you and I. Jesus died for sinners. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God is perfection to the law. The Bible calls for us to repent. That is to change our mind about what we believe, about who Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you? Peter says that he is the Son of God. He is the Christ. And if he's the Son of God, he is God. Jesus is the God-man, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, led a sinless life, died on a cruel cross, rose from the grave on the third day, and he's coming again. Have you repented? But repentance in the Bible is not simply a call to change your mind academically about what you believe. It's not just knowing I'm saved by grace and not by works. The rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as to not worship demons and the idols of gold, of silver, of brass, of stone, and of wood. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. It is also a change of mind about how you behave. Repentance touches the mind about what you believe, but it touches the hands, the eyes, the mouth, the feet about how you behave. May God bless his word.